Mother Earth is a person. We look at the Earth, planet, and we think it's all uh, inert thing, but actually she is a person. And one of the forms she has is that of a cow. And so as you mean the form of a cow, she went to the demigods who were doing something and the demigods couldn't do anything where Kamsa was so powerful and Kamsa's associates were so powerful that even the demigods couldn't deal with them. 
The demigods are actually extremely powerful persons. Now here we can actually consider who are the demigods. Uh, often, how many of you are coming from Hindi background? Practically all. <laughs> now, a simple consideration. Does Hinduism believe in many gods or one god? And that's the problem with Hinduism. In a way, it's embarrassing, actually. The Hinduism, actually all the religions are monotheistic, meaning practically all religions believe in one God. All the prominent religions believe in one God. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, but Hinduism is a pantheistic religion, believes in many gods. Now how can God be many? If we consider the definition of God is supreme, how can supreme be many? That also came from another hodgepodge in Hinduism. And that hodgepodge is ultimately God doesn't have any form. He is uh, a light or whatever. He doesn't have any form, he doesn't have any energy, he doesn't have any variety, he doesn't have any pastimes. So that means he doesn't have anything. Uh, this was established by Shankaracharya. Nirvisheshvat. Or Kevaladvaitabha. Absolute non-dualism. And Ramanacharya defeated Shankaracharya's theory. That's why it's important to know this background. Ramanacharya defeated that with some very valid points. I mean, it was an extensive thing, but some interesting points are if God is a creation of man's imagination, then why believe in that God? Isn't it? If God is a man, <coughs> a creation of man's imagination, then what's, what kind of God is he? Why worry about him? And to establish his points, Ramanujacharya, Shankaracharya said that this world is illusory. Illusion means it appears to be in a way, but actually it is not. Just, he gives an example, just like mirage. There is no water in the mirage, it's hot sand, but gives the impression of water. Just as one mistakes a rope to be a snake, there is no snake, but he thinks that this is a snake. It's a rope, appears to be. So Ramanacharya smashed that point. Okay, fine. There is no water in the mirage. But somewhere the water is existing, that's why you are mistaking the mirage to be water. Somewhere the snake is existing, that's why you are mistaking the rope to be a snake. So somewhere the reality is existing, that's why you are 
mistaking this false to be real. What a brilliant way of defeating Shankaracharya's point. Now again, we also have to understand, Shankaracharya came to defeat Buddhism. Okay, Buddha came to stop the nonsense that was going on in the name of the Vedas, killing of animals and all kinds of things. So because of the name of the Vedas, all these things were going on, Therefore, in order to stop animal sacrifice, what did Buddha do? There is no need of Veda. He created a new doctrine. Be good. And the goal of life is to become, to attain Nirvana. And Nirvana means to become nothing. That, that point also has been derived in this way that this body is the source of suffering. You have the body, therefore you are suffering. Isn't it? Now, if you don't have the body, then there won't be any suffering. I mean, sounds reasonable. <laughs> so get, no, just get rid of the body. And the body is the source of misery, so the Buddhist concept is to, to get rid of the body. Then there won't be any suffering. So nirvana. Nirvana means to become nothing. That's why Buddhism is called voidism. To become nothing. Ultimately everything is nothing. So Shankaracharya came. You see, Buddha came, rejected the Vedas. Now, the Ved, unless the Vedas are established, the proper understanding will not be there about the spiritual reality. Therefore, there is a need to re-establish the Vedas. But if you try to present the Vedas the way it is, the Buddhists will not accept it. Therefore, we have to present, there was a need to present it in such a way that the Buddhists will be forced to accept. So Shankaracharya's attack was based on this Nirvana. Okay, you're saying Nirvana is the goal, but this Nirvana is a Vedic concept. And the Vedas are saying Nirvana, you saying Nirvana means to become nothing, but according to Vedas, Nirvana means to become absolute. You got the point? So can anybody stand that argument? Who will accept that Nirvana, the goal of life, is to become nothing? Isn't it wonderful to go become, is to become absolute yourself? So ultimately the absolute Brahman and the goal of life is to become Brahman. So that is the meaning of Nirvana. So in this way Shankaracharya defeated Buddhism and re-established the Vedas. But he couldn't give the Vedas in totality. He gave the Vedas partially with a partial understanding. The spiritual reality, stick to the spiritual reality beyond this material nature. So in the difference, material nature, nothing. Material nature beyond that is everything, or absolute. Brahman is absolute. But Brahman doesn't have any form. Brahman doesn't have any quality. 
Brahma doesn't have any potency. Brahma doesn't have any variety. So if Brahma has nothing, 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 then what does Brahma mean? Nothing. <laughs> so in this way, he re-established the Vedas with the concept of Kevaladaitavad. This Kevaladaitavad has another connotation which is called Vivartavad. Okay, Vivartavad means a theory of illusion. Okay, this theory of illusion is uh, Vedas actually has the theory of transformation. Vedas is accepting Brahman. Brahman is the spiritual energy. And the spiritual energy is transformed into this material nature. Sarvam Kallinam Brahman. Everything is a transformation of Brahman. Brahma and so Brahma is the source of everything and that Brahma is without any form, without any characteristics, without any quality, without any potency. So that is how he is establishing Brahma. And that is, that's from, that's how he derived that concept, the theory of illusion. One is a theory of transformation. Brahman transformed into uh, matter. But Shankaracharya pointed out uh, that no, the reality actually is this material nature is not transformation of Brahman. Material nature is uh, illusory. It appears to be but it is not. So he established the theory Brahma Satya the real truth is Brahma, but Jagan Mitha, this material nature is false. False means this material nature is illusory. It appears to be in a certain way, but it's not. Now the thing is, he had to do that in order to convince the Buddhists or defeat the Buddhists. Something that they could not deny. And that's how he defeated them. So, but uh, and so this has been uh, established in Padma Puran. Lord Shiva is telling Parvati, Mayavadam Ashachastram Prachanna Bodham Ucchate Mayaiva Bihitam Devi Kalo Brahmana Murtina. Mayavadam, a theory called Mayavad which is an Ashat Shastra, temporary scripture. Mayavabhitam Devi, I will establish Kalo Brahmana Murtina, in the age of Kali as a Brahmana. So who is that? Lord Shiva in the age of Kali as a Brahmana? Shankaracharya. And Chaitanya Charitamrita is making that point that Vedshastra kahe porinam bad, bash bhranto bolite ho uthai lobhad. Vedas are accepting the theory of transformation, porinam bad. 
But Shankaracharya said, Basti was mistake. And in this way, he created a contradiction. And that contradiction is called Vivartavan, a theory of illusion. <laughs> and that's why commonly it's called Mayavad. Maya means illusion, theory of illusion. But Ramanajacharya came and defeated that concept. No. You are saying this is illusory. Fine. It is, illu- it is not illusion. It's a reflection. So the dif- see the difference between illusion and reflection? Illusion is something that, that has, that appears to be, but it is not. But reflection is that it is there, but it is not real. The real reality is the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is called, uh, he established it, Shankaracharya's theory is Kevalartaitavan, absolute non-dualism. And Ramanajacharya's theory is Vishishtadaitavan. The theory of specific non-dualism. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm just going away from Krishna's pastimes. <laughs> Do you think these things help? Yes. yes. Information? Because I feel that you need to know that because, you know, the Hinduism has become such a hodgepodge. So much so that actually a person in proper understanding of the Vedas will feel embarrassed to identify himself as a Hindu. No, we are not Hindus. We are Sanatan Dharmi. We are Vaishnavas. We are Vedanugas. We are the followers of the Vedas. And that religion is not a sectarian religion. That religion is the universal religion. What we are following is not limited to Hindus or this or that. The basis of that religion is Varnashram. Brahman, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra. And there the problem came. The Brahmanas, the head of the, the highest class of the society. But what happened? Is there any Brahmana here? Cast Brahmana? Okay, if you are with all due apology. <laughs> in Garuda Puran, it has been mentioned that in the age of Kali, the demons will take birth in the Brahmana family. <laughs> Rakshasha, Rakshasha, you know. <laughs> Rakshasha, Kalim Ashritya, taking advantage or taking shelter of the Kali Yuga. Jayante will take birth, Brahma Shu, in the Brahmana families. So, this is what has happened. This is the uh, the crisis of the age of Kali. 
the demons took birth in the Brahmana families and taking advantage of the Vedas, they completely destroyed the Vedic culture. In the name of the Vedas, they introduced all kinds of nonsense activities. Vedas are suggesting certain things, but they kind of misinterpreted them and created a confusion or created a calamity. Like animal sacrifice is, is approved in the Vedas. Animals can be sacrificed, like Ashramed Yoga, Gomed Yoga. But in the name of animal sacrifice from the Vedas, they started to indiscriminately kill animals. Nindasi Yagga Bideraha Shruti Jatam. Shruti Jatam came from the Shruti, came from the Vedas. Shadaya Ridaya Darshita Pashukhatam. The animal sacrifice that was going on in the name of the Vedas, criticizing that or to, to, to remove that. Keshavadrita. In order to stop that animal sacrifice that was going on in the name of the Vedas, Krishna's heart became Sadaya Hridaya Darshita Poshukhata. Sadaya means very merciful. The merciful heart of the Lord became afflicted. Shadaya Ridaya Darshita Poshughatam. Poshughatam means animal slaughter. Keshavadrita. Krishna assumed Buddha Sharira. Appeared as Lord Buddha. Simply to stop this nonsensical activity that was going on in the name of the Vedas. So he came and established Buddhism, rejected the Vedas. But Vedna Maniya Bodha Hoilo Nastik. Because the Buddhists did not accept the Vedas, therefore they are Nastik, they are atheists. Because without the Vedas, you cannot have the understanding of the Lord. Although the Lord Himself has established the principle, but because they were not accepting the Vedas, they are classified as Nastik. So the Vedas is rejected, animal sacrifice is stopped. Now uh, the need is there to re-establish the Vedas. So then came uh, Shankaracharya. And Shankaracharya re-established the Vedas. Such a powerful personality. Practically single-handedly defeated. At that time, mind you, about a thousand years ago or fifteen hundred years ago, like whole of India was completely became completely Buddhistic. The whole of India was Buddhist. Shankaracharya came took sannas at the age of eight. At the age of eight, he took sannas. 
and started to travel around and defeat the Buddhas. And uh, re-established the Vedas, removed uh, Buddhism from India. That's why today we don't see Buddhism in India. They are in some remote corners, Tibet, China, Japan, Sri Lanka. Actually, Buddhism spread all over India at that time. But Shankaracharya drove them out of India. In this respect, another interesting thing also to note. <laughs> Shankaracharya defeated them with argument. Right? Intellectually, with uh, debate and argument, he defeated them. But not that everybody would listen to debate and argument. So Shankaracharya, Shankaracharya, who is Shankaracharya? Who are the associates of Lord Shiva? <laughs> right. And Shankaracharya created a sect called Nagasannasis. And they, with their sticks, they beat the Buddhists out of India. <laughs> Those who would listen to argument, he dealt with them. But the others who would listen to those arguments, he used a special kind of a tactic. And Anyway, so this is the history. So, but now what happened, Shankaracharya's theory was, see, Shankaracharya's uh, uh, presentation had the biggest problem is that God doesn't have any form. You get the point? Believing in God, but he doesn't have any form. It's Brahma. Then what is the form? What are the incarnations? Incarnation is Brahma in the mode of goodness. Material nature has three modes. Goodness, passion, ignorance. Generally living entities are in the passion and ignorance. But when a living entity becomes, comes into the mode of goodness, then he becomes Narayana. And the forms are there, just Pancho Upashana, there are five forms that you can use to meditate. But then when you reach certain advanced stage, then you don't need the form. Huh? Those forms are those who are in the mode of goodness, or you know, some some kind some people according to their taste, they can meditate, they can imagine the form of Vishnu. Some can imagine the form of Surya. Some can imagine the form of Shiva or Durga. So this is how, according to your liking, you can imagine a form to meditate because it's very difficult.
to meditate without a fault. So if you are in the preliminary stage, you can imagine a fault, but at an advanced stage, the fault will disappear and you will become Brahma yourself. So as a result of that, what happened, the Hindus uh, today are thinking that forms are ultimately mean nothing. So you can imagine any form, you can worship any form. If you are Maharashtrian, you can worship Ganesh. If you are South Indian, you can worship Kartik. If you are Bengali, you can worship Kali. If you are North Indian, you can worship Devi. So this is how you have the choice. But that is what caused the problem. But what is the real fact? What is the real factual thing? What is the reality? We have in Hindi or in Sanskrit, there are two concepts. Devta and Bhagavan. Okay, who is Ganesh? Devta. Who is Kartik, Murugan? Devta. Who is Pavan? Who is Indra? Who is Varun? Who is Surya? Who is Krishna? But according to that understanding, they all have been lumped into one category. Devta and Bhagavan, there is no one. And English language helped us immensely in, in developing this misconception. Because in English language, there is only one word, God. So Devtas are God, Bhagavan is God, you are God, I am God. Everything is God. That is the hodgepodge of Hinduism today. Fortunately, Srila Prabhupada came and removed that ignorance. How many of us are suffering from that ignorance? I can admit, I was suffering from that ignorance. How many of you are suffering from that ignorance? Ramesha, what about you? You thought I am not watching. <laughs> so see, this is how Prabhupada actually saved us. Now, now let's go back. What, who are these devtas? Devtas are the appointed employees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to take care of different affairs of this material nature. Like uh, most of you are from London. Does London have an electric supply department? Somebody is heading that department? There's water supply department. There's finance department. There is education department. There's public works department. Right? There are different departments in the government and there are some individuals heading those departments. Similarly, in the universal affairs, there are different departments. Wind department, fire department, water department. And those who are heading those departments, they are 
the devtas and devas, devas and devis. For example, education department, who is the head of the department? Saraswati. Saraswati. Finance department, <laughs> Lakshmi Devi, and so forth. Often people think Kuvair is the head of the finance department. No, Kuvair is a treasurer. The finance, financial head is Lakshmi Devi. Very special department. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so this is how, uh, in the universe there are many gods and goddesses, demigods and demigods. And there are innumerable universes, and in each universe there are sets of devas and devas. Now, Bhagavan is the one who created all these universes. So can we lump them in the same category? That is the mistake. On the other hand, the Vedas are giving such clear understanding. The term Bhagavan. Okay, what does this word Bhagavan mean? Hmm? You know the word Dhanavan? <laughs> Who is Dhanwan? One who has Dhan means wealth. Balwan, who has Bal, strength. Gunwan, Rupawan, so many Bans. <laughs> so this Ban uh, suffix indicates one who possesses. Similarly, Bhagavan means one who possesses Bhaga. And what is the meaning of the word bhaga? Bhaga means all the wealth, all the strength, all the fame, all the beauty, all knowledge and all renunciation. All these six in totality is bhaga. So one who has that is bhaga. So now you see the difference between Dev Devis and Bhagavan. So this is how he is the supreme. And because he is all attractive, he is Krishna. So <clears throat> to go back to the point, the Devtas are actually the appointed employees. Like say you have a company. <coughs> and you're running a company. In your company, there are different departments, right? And you appoint some heads, <coughs> like marketing department, sales department, production department, publicity department, so forth, human resource department. So there are different heads. They are your appointed employees. Similarly, in the universal affair, these, de these devtas are appointed by Krishna. And demons take away that because they defy the existence or authority of Krishna. They take away the power from the demigods. They are very powerful individuals. So powerful that they could even defeat the demigods. So defeating the demigods, they take away the power. So then, uh, now see if something, say you went on a vacation uh, to <coughs> East Island <laughs> for seven days. 
And then you get a phone call that there has been a revolution in your company <laughs> and different depart departmental heads have been ousted and some other individuals have taken over the power. What will you do at that time? Won't you go there to rectify the situation? So that is why when there is such turmoil in the universal affair, Krishna comes to rectify. So this has been pointed out as Indradi Bakulam Loki Mridhanti Indradi, Indra's Ari, means Indra's enemies, the demigods' enemies. When they create disturbance, he comes to re-establish the law and order. Yada yadahi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata abbuddhanama dharmasya So that's why Krishna comes. So this is the uh, one of the reasons, not the main reason actually. The main reason is paritranaya sadhuna that vinashaya ca duskritam and dharma-saṅsthāpanārthāya is his secondary purpose. He comes to do that, but he mainly comes to give his association to his devotees. As I was mentioning yesterday, some devotees say, my Lord, I want you to be my son. So Krishna, one thing he is completely unable to do is to refuse his devotee. He can't do that. Devotee says something, Krishna says, yes, sir. <laughs> so that is Krishna's attitude towards his devotee. He's so indebted to and that's why to give pleasure to the devotees, Krishna comes. So both the activities go on side by side. Killing of the demons, giving pleasure to the devotees. And we see the demigods were watching. And as I mentioned yesterday, like they're appealing to Naradmani. Naradmani, please do something. It's taking so long, 15 years. Krishna appeared and according to some calculations, 11 years. Anyway, whatever it is. Let's say 11 years. So 11 years we've been waiting. Let Krishna do something about it. Let him take care of this character. Come, sir. So that's why Narad Muni, the first thing he did, when Kamsa decided not to kill the firstborn, of Devaki and Vasudev. The demigods were in anxiety. Oh my God, this boy will survive. So the second pregnancy will take a long time. So eight son, it will take such a long time. Narad Muni, please do something about it. So Narad Muni goes and tells Kamsa. Kamsa, eight child, from which calculation? Front back or back front? <laughs> So don't take any chance. And Kansas Associates also said, yes, that's true. Don't take any chance. Who knows? Uh, because these characters are very tricky. 
Kamsa Gaurav kills the child. And that was simply because when the child is lost, then the mother will conceive more quickly. So this is how so many years went by, Krishna is now born, and then Krishna is transported to Vrindavan, and so many years went by, Krishna comes to sending uh, all the demons. Yes, Krishna is killing them, but the main culprit is Kamsa, when he is going to be killed. And so finally that happened, the demigods are really happy. <clears throat> Kamsa was actually so cruel that when his father didn't support him, Urasena, he actually put his father into prison. And he became the king himself. So Krishna released Ugrasim and established him in the kingdom as the king. Then he released his father and mother. And <clears throat> Vasudeva and Devaki watched how Kamsa killed, uh, how Krishna killed Kamsa. So they could now understand that this child is actually, although came as a son, he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They also remembered that Krishna, how he appeared with his four arms and how Krishna actually showed his form as Narayan. And that all that awareness, all that recollections came back. And so they are considering, <coughs> they are feeling, they are feeling the, uh, the awe and reverence. But Krishna didn't want them to get into that mood. So Krishna just removed that, that awareness with his influence of Jogamaya. So Vasudeva and Devaki forgot his position and felt that he is my child. And Krishna also behaved in a similar way, started to lament that for my sake you have to go through all these difficulties. Because there was an announcement that I would come to kill Kamsa. Kamsa troubled you so much, put you into prison, killed all your children, six children, and so many times, so many atrocities were inflicted upon you. And when we are children, uh, generally parents enjoy uh, the the child's babyhood, boyhood. But you couldn't experience that relationship with us. Although you gave birth to me, but I was separated from you practically from the time of birth. And uh, we also uh, were missing you so much. We, although we are little babies, but we felt the separation. Then Devaki and Vasudeva also started to pour their affections onto Krishna. 
saying that, yes, all the difficulties that we have gone through is worth its while. Because who can have a son like you? So it doesn't matter what trials and tribulations we have gone through. Like our, our life is successful that we got it, got you as our son. So in this way they had a very beautiful loving exchange. And then Krishna saw Nanda Maharaj just watching. And he felt bad. Like here is the person who actually brought us up like his own son. And so Krishna started to glorify him for all that he had done for them. <clears throat> like, although we are separated from our parents, but you didn't make us feel that separation at all. The amount of affection you showered upon us, you never allowed us to feel that we are not your sons. So in this way, uh, he was expressing his gratitude to Nanda Maharaj and then Krishna and Balaram embraced Nanda Maharaj and said, please tell the residents of Vrindavan that we'll come soon. As soon as I finish this business here, we'll go back. So in this way, Krishna and Balaram assured Nanda Maharaj of returning to Vrindavan again. Then Vasudeva and Devaki considered that my child uh, has grown up but hasn't been <coughs> properly initiated. Uh, so they got their family priest, Gargamuni, to, to do the initiation of Krishna and Balaram. And <coughs> then Krishna, Krishna decided to study. Okay, we have been initiated, but now we have to learn, we have to study the scriptures. So they decided to go to Sandipani Muni. Sandipani Muni was originally from Kashi, Benares. And Sandipani Muni from Kashi shifted to Ujjain. And Kashi is actually a place of Lord Shiva. So is Ujjain, Avanti. And Sandipani Muni's mother is Purnamasi. So Purnamasi with Sandipani Muni's elder son Madhumangal and daughter Nandimukhi shifted from Kashi to Vrindavan. And Sandipani Muni came to Avanti with his wife. And Krishna decided to study under Sandipani Muni because Sandipani Muni was actually a devotee of Lord Shiva. And he considered that a Vaishnava devotee won't be able to teach him. <laughs> they will be in so much awe and reverence, they won't be able to accept him as a student. 
Therefore, he selected Sandipani Muni. So he went to Sandipani Muni's ashram along with Balaram. Vasudeva and Devaki were very, very heartbroken. No, no, he just came. We just found you and now you want to leave. Krishna consoled that it's only for a short while because it is important that we study. So in this way, Krishna sets the standard for human beings, civilized human beings. Civilized human beings must study under the guidance of a qualified teacher. Because the qualified teacher imparts the spiritual knowledge. And that is the way to properly understand the subject. So Krishna and Balaram went to Sandipani Muni's ashram and Sandipani Muni was also very happy to have them as his students. They were amazing personalities. Sandipani Muni would speak about one subject and just by hearing once they would master the subject. So in this way, Sandipani Muni was teaching, taught them all the Vedas with his anger, six limbs, six corollaries, Upanishads, Dharma Shastra, different branches of wisdom, including Dhanur Veda, the Veda of archery or weaponry. These are not just some ordinary archery. This is controlling different powers through mantra. Then he established, then he taught them also different branches of law, Manusamhita and so forth. And Krishna and Balaram in 64 days mastered 64 different arts. So in this way, Sandipani Muni completed his teaching. Then Krishna said, we want to give you some Dakshina. Because when one receives the knowledge, when one studies under somebody, then he must give Dakshina. As a then only it becomes complete. Without Dakshina, education is not complete. Diksha is not complete without Dakshina. And that's why we have this culture. After Diksha, everyone goes out begging. <laughs> so that is the way of being the spiritual master. That's the way of being the teacher. Any kind of uh, educational uh, arrangement must end with this exchange, Dakshina. So Krishna and Sandipani Muni said that, look, I am blessed just by getting you as a student. So there is nothing that I need. But Krishna insisted, no, no, please, tell me what I can do for you. 
what I can give you. So Sandipani when he said, look, I don't really need anything, but let me see if my wife wants something. So <clears throat> she, he went and asked her, and she said that, look, these students are unusual. They are not ordinary students, ordinary human beings. Anyway, I mean, from their countenance, you can see that they are extraordinary individuals. So we have to ask something extraordinary from them. So what could be asked? Remember, we lost our child. Oh, before the Sandipani Muni mother, Sandipani Muni's wife actually had a feeling also. When she heard that Krishna and Balaram were leaving, her feeling was that after these two boys came to my house to study under you, I forgot the pain of my lost son. All these days I completely forgot about my lost son, just getting them in the house as my son. So now that they are leaving, so let's ask them to bring our son back. <laughs> so Sandipani Mani went and told them, this is what my wife told. Krishna said, fine. <laughs> so they got, home, got into a chariot and went to Prabhash, where on the bank of the ocean, the child was drowned. So Krishna and Balaram sat on the bank of the ocean and the ocean god came and with folded hands said, please tell me what I can do for you. So Krishna said, my guru's son was lost here. I want him back. So he said, look, I did not take that. I didn't abduct him. It was a demon called Panchajana who resides in the water, underwater. He has stolen the child. <coughs> so Krishna immediately went under the water, underwater, and found Panchajana. After a terrible fight, he killed him. But when he tore open his abdomen, he couldn't find the sun. So <clears throat> Krishna then went to Samjamani Puri, the abode of Jamraj, and he blew his consciousness. Then immediately Jamraj came running, falling at his feet. Jamraj started to offer all kinds of wonderful prayers in his glorification. So, <clears throat> said, please tell me what can I do for you? Krishna says such and such, the son of my guru was killed here in the ocean, killed in the ocean. So his soul must be under your custody now. So I want him back for my guru. So Jamraj brought the son. 
and he did the sun back to Sandipani Munirasha. So this is how Krishna completed his education and offered his guru the most wonderful Dakshina, bringing back his lost son. Can Krishna do that? Yes. If you become a devotee of Krishna, will Krishna also do some wonderful things for you? Yes. So, what will you be? Very good. Wonderful devotee. I heard this response only from this side. <laughs> What's this side doing? Thank you very much. What about that side? Have I become deaf? <laughs> Thank you. All of you become wonderful devotees. And yesterday we discussed about that. Is it difficult to become a devotee? Huh? No. And the example is, you know how to ride a bicycle? Who knows? Is riding a bicycle easy? Huh? Is it easy now? Why? Because you know how to ride. How many of you don't know how to ride a bicycle? Will it be easy? When you know something, it's easy. When you don't know something, it's different. So, uh, make an effort. That's called sadhana bhakti. Practice. Practice makes a man perfect. So sincerely practice the process that Prabhupada gave and it will happen. And where, where does it begin? Surrender. Is surrendering difficult? Again the same point. Is surrendering difficult? No. So is it difficult to surrender to Krishna? It can be very difficult. <laughs> because of our false ego, we cannot surrender. Therefore, we must get rid of our false ego. So anyway, Stay in the association of devotees, practice the process, read Prabhupada's books, and it will happen. You found the process, now just remain on it. So I'll invite you a few questions. If yes, Rani. Um, animal sacrifice is recommended in the Vedas. So my understanding is the sacrifice is the mouth of, the yakya is the mouth of Vishnu. So why do we offer animals? 
Vishnu doesn't take the animal, he takes the soul. <clears throat> All right. And, and the other thing is that through this animal sacrifice, the sacrificed animal either gets a new body or a human body or becomes elevated to the spiritual sky. So either way it's beneficial. Guru Maharaj said that in this age of Kali, there's five practices that are prohibited. Um, I wanted to know why. Like because the animal sacrifice, like go made a sacrifice, especially is also not recommended. Yeah, go made, ashramed, both are forbidden. Five things are forbidden in the age of Kali. Ashamedham, Gavalabdham, Sannyasa, Palapotrikam, Devarena Sutapatti, Kalopancha Vivarjayat. Ashamed, horse sacrifice. <coughs> Gomed, sacrifice of cow. Sannyas. Sometimes devotees ask, but how you are a sannyas? <laughs> the sannyas that has been forbidden is Ekadandi sannyas. The sannyas by which one tries to become free from material bondage by dint of austerity and detachment. That sannyas has been rejected. But ours is three under sannyas, the sannyas of devotion to Krishna. That sannyas is okay. Hmm. Sannyas palapoitrikam poitrikam in the shadas of the forefather offering meat. Hmm. And devarena sutapatti when one becomes a widow then conceiving a child through the brother-in-law in order to maintain the line. So these five things have been forbidden. From where I am sitting, um, it seems like Shankaracharya just caused more problem than actually benefit because at least if they were following Buddhism, then there wouldn't have been this level of cruelty that's existing within the so-called Hindu practices. Well, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is then the whole world would have been Buddhist and there won't have been any Vedic culture. So once I asked Prabhupada the same question, in a similar way, Prabhupada was saying that Shankaracharya is one, our Acharya. I was quite a new devotee at that time. So I was quite shocked because all this while I was hearing Shankaracharya reject him. I mean, you hear things like, you. When you hear, when you see a Mayavadi, then with your clothes on, you should jump into a river. <laughs> That's the, the, the cause of seeing one Mayavadi. What, and hearing a Mayavadi is even worse. And <clears throat> at that time, that's what I had been hearing. And now Prabhupada is saying Shankaracharya is our Acharya. So I asked you, Prabhupada. And 
That's the time Prabhupada actually explained. In order to understand why Shankaracharya came and did what he did, we have to understand what Buddha came, why Buddha came. And then uh, Buddha stopped animal sacrifice but rejected the Vedas. Shankaracharya re-established the Vedas but could not give the total doctrine of the Vedas. Therefore, then four Acharyas, Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya, Nimbarkacharya, Vishnu Swami, the four Acharyas, Vaishnava Acharyas came and re-established the real doctrine of the Vedas. And then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came and established Radha Krishna. And in that respect, Prabhupada gave an analogy. On the field of atheism or Buddhism, Shankaracharya dug the foundation. See, the foundation goes in the other direction. The building will go this way, but the foundation goes that way. Therefore, apparently it appears that Shankaracharya's teachings and doctrine were contradictory. And then the four Vaishnava Acharyas established, on that foundation, four Vaishnava Acharyas built a temple. And in that temple, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu established the deity of Radha Krishna. We see that in, have you been to Goryaman, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? You see the four Acharyas in four corners? So that is the analogy. Were the four Acharyas established in the on that temple, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu established. Thank you. Yes. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Thank you for a nice class. Uh, I've got a question about um, the other cultures and their gods that have appeared after the um, the philosophies that you've explained. For example, the Greek gods, the Romans, etc. Of course, previously the land was Paratvarsha mm-hmm. and then it split out into the various um, continents. Then um, how did the Greek ancient forms, Roman forms, etc. get established after the Vedic cultures sort of disseminated from, from Buddha and so on? Yeah. Well, they're actually a bunch of branch of the Indian population migrated there. And they, they were demigod worshippers. So, you see, normally people are into demigod worship. Common people. Because their business is to get some benefit. Right? Like, say, for example, they want rain. Therefore, they worship rain god. They want wind. Therefore, they worship wind god. Like, in this way, different personalities worshipped. They want to win a battle, worship. You know, Mars and so forth. So that culture that the Greeks developed was simply um, remnants of demigod worship. 
is a form of demigod worship like the Zeus Apollo. And the Romans are actually, they have been affected by the Greeks also. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Did they also not get a uh, bad karmic reaction in the same way that if we do it now, will we also get the same reaction? You see, when things are done in a proper way, as I said, that, you see, animal sacrifice was like a litmus test of an experiment. You know the litmus test? Mm -hmm. So by the sacrifice, they would see whether the sacrifice had been successful. The animal that had been sacrificed, it would either get a rejuvenated body or get a human form or be elevated to higher level. So that is, you know, kind of the test. The purpose of the sacrifice was not to sacrifice the animal. The purpose of the sacrifice was to please God, please Krishna. This but this was just a side thing. Thank you, Shabbat Maharaj. My question is from yesterday's class about the uh, appearance of Lord Krishna. So in the, one of the purports of the 10th canto, chapter 3, there's a short description about Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's uh, explanation that Lord Krishna took birth in the womb of Devaki, but at the same time he also took birth in the womb of Yashoda. I wonder if you can explain, explain that. Yeah, actually <clears throat> Krishna appeared both as the son of Vasudeva and Devaki and Nanda and Yashoda. Mother Jashoda gave birth to a son and a daughter. So when Vasudev brought Krishna to Nanda Maharaj's house, it was night, it was dark. Mother Jashoda, after the labor, became very exhausted. She was fast asleep, nobody was there. And in darkness, when he just his concern was just to place the baby. And when he placed this baby, uh, then this baby merged into Jashodananda Krishna. And he picked up the daughter and brought her. Thank you very much. Because the real, the actual Krishna is the son of Nanda Maharaj. Uh, it's Jiva Goswami saying, Krishna and the Jadusambhuta. The one who appeared, Krishna, that appeared in the Jadu dynasty is another Krishna. <laughs> Meaning, this, not this Krishna, real, you know, the, the supreme, supreme personality of God. is his expansion. Krishna's expansion, the first expansion is Balaram. Then the next expansion is Chaturbhava. Vasudev Shankarshan, Pradhana, Adirata. Thank you so much, Guru Mahārāj. Hare Krishna, Guru Mahārāj. Thank you for the lovely class. Uh, Guru Mahārāj, I'd like to understand um, 
difference between what uh, Ramanujacharya has presented as the reflection and uh, because we speak of the material world is the realm of Mahamaya, is the illusory energy. So, uh, reflection and illusion. Uh, are, are we illusory or are we just a reflection? Illusory in a way, it appears in a certain way, but it is not. Say, for example, Vaisheshika philosophy is explaining that. That this perceivable reality is not the way it is. It is only combination of minutest particle called Paramana or atom. Right? Whatever you are seeing, is it, say for example, this pillar. Is it really a pillar? No, it's a combination of innumerable atoms. But in certain conditions, you can see certain pressure and temperature, it appears to be like this. In some other temperature and pressure, now it's solid, it will become liquid. So, what we are seeing is not really the way it is. But this, now the question is where the impression, I mean we are seeing things, where the impressions are coming. The impressions of the reflection of the spiritual reality. Okay? So, so there's a, that's the difference between illusion and reflection. It's a reflection, it's not illusion, it's not that it's, illusion really means it's not there, but it appears to be there. But here it is here. It's real as a reflection. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between illusion and reflection. Thank you, Guru Maharaj. I was just wondering if you could uh, you gave a wonderful uh, answer to a question that was asked on uh, Sunday, last Sunday, Bhaktivedanta Manor, for the benefit of the devotees who weren't here. Perhaps I could just ask that question again. And also, you mentioned today about Krishna and Balaram went to Ujjayin, so they left Vrindavan, but we understand that Krishna and Balaram never leave Vrindavan. So could you explain when they went to Mathura, they actually left Vrindavan? Krishna never leaves Vrindavan. Yeah. Balaram lies. Balaram but Krishna, the original Krishna, the son of Nanda Maharaj and Mother Jashoda, never lives with Bhavan. The question is, but then why gopis were lamenting this way? The understanding is that they were meeting Krishna, Krishna was meeting them. But when they would meet, they would think that they are dreaming. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and what about... Uh they actually went to Ujjain as well, as you mentioned, for the Sandhapani school, uh, well, under the training of Sandhapani Muni. Was so, that? Uh, Krishna and Balaram, did they not come to Ujjain, as you mentioned? Or yeah, that is Vasudev Krishna. Came Vasudev Krishna. Right. Nam Jasudhananda Krishna. Thank you. Guru Maharaj.
thank you very much for a lovely class. But uh, I wanted to explain more. You know, there is a little bit of confusion between you, like, you know, Mother Yashoda had a baby girl, and then comes, uh, you know, like he tried to kill, and she just flew in the air. But, uh, and, uh, in uh, one of the class in Bhaktivedanta Manor, we heard that, uh, um, um, Subhadra, Mother Subhadra is a daughter of Mother Yashoda, but in our my understanding that she is a daughter no, of Mother Bodhi. Is, is it Devaki. De Mother Devaki? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Any other question? Guru Maharaj, you just explained now that Vishishta Advaitavad is a theory of perceivable reality. Is that Not perceivable, special reality. Special, special non-duality. Special, oh, because when I said perceivable, I was thinking, is it relative? No, no. No. I mean, it is perceivable in that thing, but the expression is vishishta means special. Special. Uh, and advaita means non-duality. Okay. Special non-duality. That it is a special non-duality. It's spiritual reality. It's of, it's, you know, it is beyond this material variegatedness. It is, if you look at it from the material perspective, there is, it is, com, it is of another reality. Okay. And I can imagine say that it's minute particle of atom, a combination of numeral particles. Is that relative according to person to person? Well, yes. A bee will see this wall as hexagonal, and you and I will see it the way we are seeing it. Yes, it is relative to our perception. And a blind man won't even see anything. Okay, there is a question. Rameshwar has a question. Guru Maharaj, you know, I come from Jainism background. Very good. <laughs> so I want to just know how does this fit in with what you have explained today? Okay, okay, very good. Very good. You see, let's go back to the origin of Jainism. Rishabdev, an incarnation of Krishna, the father of Bharat Maharaj, and who was ruling the whole world at one time, he at some point left his home and became a Abadhut, wandering around, like a madman, without any external cons cons consciousness. So, now although he was, you know, completely detached, wandering around like a madman, thousands of people are following him. So he came to a province called Konka and Benka. And the king of that place was King Arhat. So Arhat saw that this person has nothing and he is so popular. Whereas I am the king. I have not even a fraction of this popularity. 
So let me start acting like him. So Ardha then started to act like him. The difference is, instead of taking his internal mood, he was simply imitating his external activity. So that is how the origin of Jainism actually started. That's why the Jains actually claim that Rishabhdev is the originator. And right after that is Arihant. So Arihant is actually Arhat. And this is from Srimad Bhagavatam actually. Yeah. Okay, then Lord Buddha came. Much after that actually. Long after that. Lord Buddha came and uh, the Kshatriyas became his followers. Started from Ashok. Uh, and like the Kshatriyas were actually affected by Buddha's teachings. And the Vaishyas found a leader in Mahavira. So they were actually contemporary. Buddha and Mahavira were contemporary. And Mahavira actually revived that, which is quite similar to Buddha's teaching actually. Uh, but of course, it was more akin to what we say, with, with more akin to the Vedic doctrines. Jain Buddhism rejected the Vedic concept, whereas Jainism to some extent accepted that was the only difference. And the Kshatriyas became the followers of Buddha and Vaishyas became the followers. And that is how <coughs> this line Jainism came. But is the, uh, sorry, is the understanding of the Jains and the Buddhist similar as the Nirvana or? I don't know. You should know better. <laughs> I, I wish. I I mean, well, I studied Buddhism, but I didn't study Jainism <laughs> so much. Maharaj, when was Hinduism re-established? Was it in the 5th or 8th century by the Sankracharya? Oh, that was actually 500 BC, almost around 500 BC. Thank you. No, I'm sorry, not BC, AD, 500 AD. Buddha came and 500 BC, about 500, 500 BC. Like, you know, in a way it's all 500 years of distance. Buddha came 500 BC, Jesus came uh, 500 years after that. Then Shankaracharya came about 500 years after that. Then Muhammad came out from 500 years after that. Hare Krishna Guru thank you for the class. Um, just to go back to, you were saying that Shubhadra is the daughter of Devaki. Um, I don't know where I got the understanding that it was another um, wife of Vasudev. I didn't know that Devaki had any more children. Well, I mean, my, at least my understanding was that she is the daughter of Devaki. Okay. But she was not born in Vrindavan. She was born in Mathura. Okay. Thank you so much.
I'd like to understand uh, about uh, the, the body in the spiritual world, it's said to be Satchit Ananda. And um, since in this material world it's a reflection of what's in the spiritual world, is the Satchit Ananda form also human-like in the spiritual world? There is human-like form, there is lion-like form, there is toad-like form, deer-like form. All these forms are there, but they are all spiritual form. They are not made of five elements. They are made of spiritual element. And the characteristic of those elements are Satchitana. Then everything is Satchitana. Everything is conscious, cheap. Everything is eternal, everything is full of joy. And everyone is perfectly tuned into Krishna. <laughs> Just one, one more thing. Then um, the, the male and female, uh, like gender in this material world, in the spiritual world, because we hear how Krishna is Adipurush, uh, it, could you please define how male and female feature or the psychology of that in the spiritual world? Yeah, male-female forms are there again. They are not made of five elements like here. That form, those forms are spiritual. Mm-hmm. The male are, there are male forms, there are female forms. All right. But there, the male are not attracted to female. There, everyone is attracted to Krishna. There, male are not female attracted to female, and female are not attracted to male. They all are attracted to Krishna. That's the difference. Everyone is in complete love with Krishna. And just one clarification question about Sandipani Muni's uh, son. Um, obviously, Krishna, you said that he went to Yamaraj to get the, the soul. But then the body, the gross body, would have sort of deteriorated. So did he just create that or...? That was, in not a, that has been explained not in this case. But when Krishna and Arjun went to retrieve the Brahmana boys, Brahmana's son, yes. Then Jamra said, well, he's already born in another. That's right. So then that soul was brought back. Okay, so I was asking about the body of the son, Sanipalini's son. Well, so the soul was brought back, and Krishna can, if Krishna can bring yeah. the soul back. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, just wanted that clarification. <laughs> Thank you. Hare Krishna, my the Lord's uh, pastime in the, in the Dhanur Yagya, uh, where he killed Kamsa. Uh, I just wanted to sort of get your your thoughts on how should an enemy be treated, a defeated enemy be treated in, in the modern times. Give him Krishna consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> In the modern time, we can't kill them. <laughs> then we'll be in trouble. <laughs> That's why in modern time, you know, these pastimes 
you know, like, based on this Kshatriya principle cannot be applied, especially in the age of democracy. If the Kshatriya ruler was doing, he could kill. Or if you're a mafia, you can do that. <laughs> yes? Thank you for a wonderful seminar. I had one question on, on how do we re-establish Brahminical culture to fight, as you said, Garuda Purana tells us that demons are now taking best in caste Brahmin. So how do we fight this casteism? How do we re-establish proper Brahminical culture? Join his clan and become duly initiated. <laughs> Prabhupada said that there is no Brahmana in this age. We are creating the Brahmanas, real Brahmanas. Say if someone performs loads of simple activities in one life, they're likely to come to the hellish planet, right? Uh, say it again. Say if someone performs a lot of simple activities in one life, they're likely to come to the hellish planets. But from that, they've already undergone the like, the hellish planets, it's not very good, so... Um, so, do they come back to this earthly planet and still undergo suffering? What happens to them? Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just surrender to Krishna and be free from all your sinful reactions. So then nothing happens to them? Then they don't have to go to hellish planet. Okay. Uh, so those who are committing sins, tell them. Just surrender to Krishna. Okay. Otherwise, you'll be in terrible trouble. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hi, Krishna Thank you for the wonderful seminar. My question was um, how you explained about the washerman and how he got beheaded by Krishna. So, he was a non-devotee or was he a devotee? Well, it depends how you're looking at Krishna's pastimes. If you look at Krishna's pastimes as a drama, then when a king organizes a drama, who king select as the actors and actresses? Any Tom, Dick and Harry? Uh, or his own people? Uh, his own people. So actually all those in Krishna's pastimes they're all Krishna's people. <laughs> like, see, the worst demons. Hirana Krishipu, Hirana Akshay. Who they are? Jaya and Vijaya, the gatekeepers. Krishna's associates, like Kunta. So, this is how, you know, Krishna's, in Krishna's pastimes, we can say, um, Two types of characters are getting a chance to take part. Mm. One is those who have become qualified to become devotees of Krishna and enter into Krishna's pastimes. They're getting a chance, like the demigods. So the demigods are actually those who are qualified. They took birth in Jadu and Krishna dynasty. According to Krishna's instruction. Mm. But at the same time, some of Krishna's associates from the spiritual sky also came down with him. 
So some are recruiting, some are... <laughs> so, uh, there was another question related to this. Um, so as that washerman made an offence towards Krishna and obviously got killed and got liberated by Krishna, However, how about if a devotee unknowingly commits an offence towards Krishna, then what happens? Yeah. The point is, you know, Krishna through his pastimes are reminding us what we should do. The washerman didn't want to give the clothes to Krishna and see the result. Whereas the weaver came and just decorated Krishna. Krishna was already dressed and now he further uh, improved his attires, right? And Krishna blessed him. That uh, after this life he'll go back to Godhead. And in this life he'll have strength and opulence that will be envied by the kings. So the question is, Krishna through this pastime is asking, so what do you want to do? <laughs> Do you want to be the washerman or the weaver? <laughs> Thank you so much, Guru Maharaj. Um, I just wanted to know whether it's possible to travel to the spiritual worlds while still being in the material world, um, and whether anyone you know or yourself have experienced that. Yesterday, do you remember, I spoke about Sarup Siddhi, how the, body, how the mind the subtle body made of mind, intelligence and false ego we get rid of. How? By being engaged in Krishna's service. With the mind thinking about Krishna, with your intelligence being engaged in devotional service. And in this way transforming our identity from false ego to real identity. I was thinking... So at that stage, one is liberated, meaning he is a pure spirit soul. Although he is in this body, because this body has a certain longevity. So as long as death comes, until death comes, he remains in this body. But he is a pure spirit soul or a pure devotee. And then after he leaves this body, then he goes I was thinking more along the lines of if you are meditating, um, that can you go and come back? Go and come back and experience it a little bit. It's difficult to say because it will differ from individual to individual. Go where? Visiting the spiritual world. Yeah, um, at that time at the, when one becomes purified, then this world also becomes spiritual. There is no big difference between this world and that world. But if you're thinking, if, if, if my understanding is correct, that you're thinking that it's a reflection of the spiritual world. Reflection it... when you are putting yourself in the center. When you're putting Krishna in the center, then it's not reflection, then it's real. Okay. Mm. The reflection is when you are trying to enjoy. Right? You won't be able to enjoy. For example, can you enjoy through the reflection? If you're very hungry and you're seeing the reflection of a mango tree with beautiful <laughs> mangoes, will it satisfy your hunger? 
But when you're in the real, when you're in the real tree, then yes, you can pick the mango. Okay, my background isn't sort of traditionally what's here. Um, and Do you think our background is also what we have? <laughs> I'm a little bit like um, Ramesh, we're at the back, you know, that a um, little bit sort of know a little bit, but not Don't enough. upset Ramesh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I didn't mean that at all. I was trying to be, sort of, you know, empathizing. But I don't have the answer. Anyway, I was joking. <laughs> um, but, but I've been told that through meditation, when, you know, that you can travel um, and experience, not, not sort of permanent kind of, you know. Anyway, we are not into the, that kind of meditation. Okay. Uh, the opening chakra and this and that. That's not our business. <laughs> our business is chakra is automatically open. We don't have to worry about it. Do recognize that this is yes, recognize just like a millionaire son doesn't have to worry about few thousand rupees, right? Because by the millionaire son, he already inherited a million. But a poor man will say, Oh, how can I get hundred rupees? How can I get and after hundred, two hundred <laughs> rupees, and so forth? Those are business of the poor people. Okay. The devotees are like. Zillion years children. Thank you. Yes. Hare Krishna. My question is about ego. When does the soul or a person who is born develop the ego? It's always there, I think. It's always there. Like, remember I told you, I mentioned about the subtle body? The subtle body is made of what? Yeah. Mind, intelligence, and false ego. So the subtle body is there, so false ego is there. As yeah. long as you're in the material nature, the false ego will be there, which is the mistaken identity. You are a spiritual personality. You're a spirit soul. But when you identify yourself with the body, then that is the false identity. Um. But as soon as, as in when we are born, we don't know that uh, we have an ego. So my question was... It is there, but it is in a, in a dormant state, not in an active state. But as the awareness develops of the body, that ego keeps on developing. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Okay, last question. Yeah. It's the following question on... on uh, yeah, wait till the It's the following question, Maharaj. Um, when a uh, self-realized soul of pure consciousness leaves uh, uh, this cross body and goes to the spiritual world, then its subtle body will fall off. Is that correct? I told yesterday mm -hmm. the subtle body already dissolved. It's not there anymore. Subtle body is not there. Spiritual body is there. And so the spiritual body is in this body, material, gross material body. And the gross material body is a gift of nature. It has a certain longevity, certain duration. 
that nature will determine when to be free from that. So when that time comes, when the time comes to leave the gross body, the soul is already spiritually awakened, pure spirit soul. So he goes back to the spiritual world. Okay. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.